0: All right, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And if you're a guest with us, we've been making our way through the book of Matthew, a series that we've entitled "King and Kingdom." We've been tracking this theme for a while now. If you go all the way back to chapter one uh, that we looked at, uh, the beginning of last Advent season, we saw how Jesus was born in the line of King David. Chapter two, we saw how he was adored as a king by wise men or magi or kings from the East. Chapter 3, we saw how he was introduced and baptized. Really, he was anointed as king by John the Baptist. And then in chapter 4 and following, uh, we've seen how Jesus has begun his public ministry, how he's inaugurating his kingdom through his healings and his teachings. But here we are in chapter 13 today, and we find that people are still wondering about Jesus and his kingdom because it's not coming about the way that they expected Yeah, he is doing some good words. He is doing some good deeds. uh, But at the same time, people are somewhat confused. And we saw this uh, back with John the Baptist in chapter 11. He's like, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? And then in chapter 12, we're kind of seeing some of the disciples confused. And then alongside of that, we're seeing these Pharisees who are increasingly becoming hostile towards Jesus. And they're now looking to destroy him. And so we, along with the crowds and really the readers of the book of Matthew, are kind of left with this question mark. Uh, We're still trying to figure out, are you, Jesus, really the promised Messiah? Are you the true king? And Jesus is going to answer that question for us this morning. uh, But he's going to do it once again in a way that we probably wouldn't expect it. So he doesn't um, answer that question through more signs and miracles. Instead, he does it through more teaching. And in particular, he teaches through something known as parables. And so if you're not familiar with a parable, a parable is simply a story with a hidden spiritual truth. And it's often framed as a simile. So you kids who are out here this morning, welcome, by the way. Uh, If you know what a simile is, I forgot, I had to look it back up again. Um, But it is a comparison using the word like or as. And so Jesus will say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in the field. Or a kingdom is like a net thrown into the sea. Each of these parables are sort of a story that draws a comparison in order to illustrate a spiritual truth. So, we're going to be looking at a number of parables, these kingdom parables, as we make our way through Matthew 13. Um, and sometimes people can kind of read too much into parables, or they can kind of misunderstand or misapply parables. And we don't want to do that. Uh, and so, I want to give you three helpful tips to help you understand parables as we're going to walk through this first one this morning. And these are from David Platt. So, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, these are three tips for helping us understand parables. Tip number one is this. Listen from the hearer's perspective. So Jesus is a wonderful story teacher. Uh, He uses illustrations. He uses story to connect with the people. But these stories are written for a first century Jewish audience, not a 21st century American audience. So we kind of have to take off our lens, put it on the side, and then pick up the lens that the Jewish people would hear these parables Uh, and how they would see it, how they would experience it, what would provoke them. Um, And as much as possible, we have to listen from their perspective. And really, uh, this is helpful not just for parables, but for all of Scripture, because all of Scripture is definitely relevant. It's applicable to our day, but it was given to a particular audience at a particular time for a particular purpose. And so we have to understand the perspective of the hearer, in order to properly apply God's word to our lives. That's number one. Listen from the hearer's perspective. Number two is look for the main point. So there's going to be sometimes different objects in the story that mean different things, and we're going to see that actually this morning in the parable of the sower. But usually there's one overarching main point for each parable that Jesus teaches. And sometimes we can kind of get so lost trying to connect the dots and trying to figure out what all these things symbolize. And Jesus really wants us more than anything to pay attention to the overarching theme that comes out of each parable. So we've got to to do that. We want to not only listen from the here perspective, look for the main point, but then last but not least, let the truth change your perception. So the whole point of Jesus' parables we're going to be walking through is to challenge the way that people think, the way that they understand his kingdom, the way they understand the nature of him as king. And a lot of times he uses these parables as sort of like a backdoor route uh, in order to challenge his hearer's perception. So for example, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, Um, no one who was a Jew or even sometimes as a Samaritan, if they were hearing a Jew tell a story, they would expect that the Samaritan would be the hero of the story or the parable of the prodigal son. No one would have expected that a father would welcome back a son who had said, I want you dead to me, I want your inheritance. And much less that the dad would run out, not caring about anyone seeing him run to embrace his son. And so we want to let the truth change our perception. And that's what we're going to try to do as we walk through this first parable this morning. We want to ask God to change our hearts. Ask God to open up our hearts to understand the more that we can about who he is as king and what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And so today's sermon is simply entitled the parable of the sower. It's the Jesus's sermon to his title, his sermon title, so I figured I'd use that. And uh, we're going to walk through four sections, verses 1 through 23. We're going to look first at the telling of the parable, and then the purpose of the parable, or we could just say parables, um, the meaning of the parable, and then last but not least, the point. What's the main point of the parable? And uh, so why don't you go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read the first section, uh, and then we're going to walk through section, one section at a time. So we're going to read verses 1 through 9 in honor of God's word. Uh, Listen to what Jesus has to say to us. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Always pray. God, we just confess to you that. Uh, we're coming in probably with a lot of thoughts, uh, a lot of things on our minds, a lot of things that we might be distracted by or discouraged by, and our hearts can be uh, divided in many ways. And we're just asking this morning that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us a heart that truly understands and embraces your word this morning. Whatever you want us to learn, would we be sensitive to your spirit? Holy Spirit, please speak to us change us from the inside out we pray this in jesus name amen you guys can take your seats and so we're going to jump right in the telling of the parable Uh, we see here that jesus he's by the way this is the same day uh, that he's already been interacting and confronting the pharisees so this is most like a little bit later on in the day he's sitting in a boat and he's speaking to the crowds and he tells this story about farming uh, it would have been very familiar to the people of that day, but maybe not as much to us. Uh, so I grew up in a little farm town in Kinder, Louisiana, about 2,000 people, and pretty much everyone there was farmers. Um, in fact, my closest, uh, he was kind of my adopted grandfather, I called him Uncle Brennan, and he would oftentimes invite me to his farm, and I would ride on a big tractor. And uh, he was a rice and soybean farmer. He had about 1,000 acres. And so there was a particular process that he would go through in order to get the maximum product. And so the first thing he would do is get a tractor. He would till the soil. uh, And then alongside of that, he would make sure that the slope of the soil was just right for the rice, for the drainage. Um, And then he would make sure there was proper irrigation. And alongside of that, he would get the right seed and the right fertilizer. And then he would keep his eye on the, the rainwater levels to make sure there was just the right amount of water and sunlight and eventually when it was time for the harvest he would get this big machine known as a combine. It was amazing because it just go through all the fields and it would gather the crop but it would also separate and then remove the crop from the chaff. And uh it was just an amazing experience. I so would go sometimes with him to do that. But the biggest thing about farming both for him and, of course, today, is that the, always the goal is to get the maximum product. And that's, of course, on a large scale, but even on a, on a small scale, we as uh, you know, Americans, we want to do things just right to get the efficiency down just so. And so if you've got a little garden, uh, what do you do? You want to turn up the soil just right. You want to plant those seeds one at a time. You want to get it in rows, and you want to label that row, whatever the plant is. And then you want to water the plants each day. And, uh, and, of course, pray that the right amount of sun would, would fall on it. And then you maybe cover the plants to keep out the, the varmints. And then you constantly tend to it until it's time to harvest it. You want to get that maximum harvest. So that's our day and age. But back then, it was not like that at all. In fact, uh, when it was time for planting, the sower would simply put a large bag slung over his shoulder, filled with seed, and he would just walk. He would just start throwing seed. Just keep throwing seed and let the wind take the seed wherever it wanted. Just keep throwing. Keep throwing. Just keep walking slowly wherever he went. Just keep throwing seed. And once the farmer was done sowing, then he would churn up the soil. He would plow the soil and he would wait for the rain to come and for the seed to germinate. And as we see in Jesus' story, depending on where the seed was sown, uh, certain things would take place. And so just to kind of walk through this really quickly, Jesus said that some of the seed would fall on what was known as the pathway. It was kind of interlaced through the fields; That's what people would walk on. And that soil was really, really hard. It made it nearly impossible for seed to put down roots and to grow. And so obviously the seed never germinated, uh, never bore fruit, and eventually it was plucked by the birds for a healthy snack. So that's uh, some of the seed that fell on the hard soil. And then there's other seed that would fall on what's known as the rocky soil, but it's actually really a, a shallow layer of soil. And underneath it was a limestone base. And so then once the seed was sown, the plow would come through, but it couldn't break up that rock underneath that shallow bit of soil. And so the seed rested just below the surface. And then when the sun would shine, it would shine on that limestone And that rock would really absorb the heat and then release the heat at night into the seed and would cause the seed to spring up quickly. But with no real room to take root, the plant would very very quickly die. Some of the seed would fall on the sides of the field uh, where other things were already growing. So thorns and brambles. Uh, there There was certainly some dirt that was there and so that seed could take root But at the same time, as Jesus explains, uh, some of the seed, when it took root, it would begin to grow alongside of these thorns and brambles, and then it would be choked, and it would die without ever coming to fruition. And last but not least, Jesus said there was seed that fell on good soil. So it had the right amount of nutrients that was needed for germination and for growth. uh, And that seed fell on um, good soil, and so it took root, and then it began to grow and as jesus says at the end here he says that um, it produced a harvest a hundredfold some 60 and some 30. And by the way um, the normal harvest even a kind of a big harvest at that time was about tenfold so jesus is saying this is a massive increase even by the way today Uh, Modern farming methods and equipment still only yield somewhere between a 15 and a 30-fold harvest. So this is a massive harvest. And this might have prompted the people to start paying attention. Jesus might be saying something more than just a story. But Jesus does close out his parable with simply a sentence. He who has ears, let him hear. Before we move on to the next point, uh, I want you to pay attention here that for the crowds who are hearing this story, they're listening in. Oh, look, I'm I'm familiar. I'm I'm, I'm around farming. I kind of know what he's saying. But at the same time, we're like, okay, what's the point of that? Because Jesus then moves from verse 9 to the crowds. He moves on to verse 24. So he tells one kingdom parable, and then he moves right on to the next kingdom parable. It'd be like Jesus coming to the crowds of Tallahassee. You know, there are all kinds of parks, here in Tallahassee, you've got Tom Brown Park, where you can play frisbee, where you can go dirt biking, where you play a little softball. You've got Cascades Park, where you can enjoy a concert in an amphitheater. You've got Lake Ella, where you can feed the ducks and uh, pray that your lives won't be taken away by the geese as they try to destroy you. And you've got McClay Gardens, where you can enjoy the flowers and the little lakeside beach area. He who has ears, let him hear. And it would be like, Jesus would drop the mic and he'd go off. That's the experience of the crowd. They're just hearing parables, okay? But here's what's really cool. For us, we get the inside baseball. We get the, we get the, the little secret conversation between Jesus and his disciples that happens after the fact. But Matthew brings it back into this little bracket in verses 10 through 23. Because Jesus wants us To get in on the message of him and his kingdom. Okay? But you have to wonder, just like the crowds and probably the disciples too, like, Jesus, why are you even doing this? Why are you speaking in parables? This is weird. What are you all about? And so Jesus says, All right, let me tell you why. That moves us to the second point the purpose of the parable. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Nor do they understand. So we normally kind of assume that the purpose of a parable is to clarify a point uh, that Jesus might be teaching. But Jesus says here that his use of parables actually has a dual purpose, and it depends on the audience. Okay, so the first purpose that he says is to these disciples. He says, The purpose of my parable for you is to reveal truth to you. He says, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That word secrets can also be translated mystery. In other words, there was this mystery of the kingdom of God that was to some extent talked about in the Old Testament, but it was still kind of hidden. And now that Jesus has come, he's revealing the secrets of the kingdom, and he specifically revealed it to the disciples. He says, It's been given to you to know the secret be given to you to know who I am and what I've come to do Jesus says I've not come to bring about my kingdom through a political struggle or through physical force I have come to bring my kingdom through my selfless love and my sacrificial death on a cross we just have to ask ourselves like when was the first time that you believed and what was that like for you When were you granted to know the secrets of the kingdom? I I was thinking about this as we were singing just a few minutes ago. um, Lovelace Drive, right off of Pensacola Street. And, And I had been a Christian before, but I would say that that particular day, I just broke down in tears because I realized that I had been given the secret to know the kingdom of heaven. And it was such a sweet time for me. I wasn't smarter. I wasn't better. I wasn't more humble or more religious. God just chose to reveal his kingdom to me. Jesus goes on and he says, disciples, and for those of you who are believing, verse 16, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And then he goes on, he says, Truly I say to you, many prophets and religious people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So in other words, we have been given even more secrets of the kingdom because we are now on this side of the cross. The prophets, they didn't know all that was going to take place. They prophesied about it. They didn't understand it completely. But we on this side of the cross, we understand that the king came to die for his people. He came to die for you and for me. And when our eyes are open to truly see that reality, what a gift that is. Think about this past Monday night, um, we finished up our Restore ministry. And Restore is just basically to help people to grow in their faith in Christ. Uh, we spend time in God's Word, we spend time in prayer, and we just walk through the passages of Scripture. And what's been so cool is this particular round of Restore has a lot of people who are new to the faith. And it's just been so wonderful to watch these new believers be like, I've never seen this before. Or I've never understood this before. To see how God had given them true sight to see. Spiritual eyes. To understand. What a gift, right? To be granted to know the secrets of the kingdom. So that's one purpose of the parable, is to reveal truth. But there's another purpose of the parable... And rather than revelation, it is condemnation. So Jesus, he wants the disciples to understand, despite miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching, some people just aren't going to get it. And so Jesus chooses to speak in parables for this group to, in essence, harden their hearts that are already hardened. So he says, guys, you don't want to hear me? Fine. I'm not going to let you hear me. You, you don't want to understand me? Your hearts are hardened to me? Well, I'm going to speak in parables so that they're even more hardened to me. I'm going to make your stiff neck even stiffer. If that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. Sobering words from Jesus. This is what uh, William Hendrickson says. He says, Jesus now, more than ever before, begins to speak in parables in order to further reveal the truth to those who accepted the mysterious but to conceal it from those who rejected the obvious. So Jesus' purpose is, one, to reveal the truth of the kingdom, to those who have eyes to see it, but to others it's to conceal the truth of the kingdom. And Jesus goes on and he quotes this passage in the book of Isaiah, verse 14. He says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest that they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That um, little quote is from uh, the passage of Scripture where Isaiah is, just has seen the vision of the glory of God. And he hears these voices, glory, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so Isaiah is just like humbled. And and it says his heart just becomes undone as he sees the glory of God. And then God asks the question, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, okay, I'm going to send you out as a prophet, but no one's going to hear you. No one's going to understand you. All of their hearts are going to be hardened. And Isaiah says, how long am I going to have to do this? And he says, all the days of your life. It's a pretty sobering passage of Scripture. But Jesus, in essence, he says, it's happening 700 years later. Many of the people who are listening here, their hearts are really closed to me. And so I'm going to speak in the veiled language of parables to them. So I'm going to, on verse 12, he says, I'm going to keep the light... From those who prefer the darkness but on the flip side i'm going to give more light to those who want to see and so let me just say this once again for those of you who are walking in the light just give thanks to the lord in this thanksgiving weekend there's nothing that we can give greater thanks to god for than opening up our eyes to see the truth of the kingdom of god but if any of you are here this morning and you haven't yet truly understood the gospel Let this be a warning and an invitation to you. Jesus says, listen to me. Pay attention to me. And he's going to give us the meaning of the parable to all of us so that we might truly understand more about his kingdom. And so if that's you today, this morning, please listen. We're going to move on. The meaning of the parable. Verse 18. Jesus begins with verse 18, he says this, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So before Jesus gets into the soils, he first starts out with the seed. And he says, this seed is the word of the kingdom, Uh, The books of Mark and Luke, who also talk about this parable, they call it the Word of God. In essence, when the seed is being sown, when it's being thrown out, that seed is the Word of Jesus. It's about who he is and what he's done. Anytime Jesus is talked about, anytime his kingdom is being revealed, anytime it's being displayed, that is an opportunity for seed to be sown. And then Jesus says, though, that when the seed is sown, depending upon where it lands will determine what happens to that seed. And in essence, these four different kinds of soils almost reveal sort of four different ways that the heart responds to the good news of the kingdom. And really the first three are, I could call it, three different hindrances to keeping us from understanding the good news. And I think these apply not only to unbeliever, but even to believers as well. So let's let's kind of look at these these four different soils. Uh, The first heart, Jesus says, is the hard heart. And he says some of that seed that falls on that hard path, um, in essence, what happens is when they hear the word of the kingdom, they don't understand it, and then the evil one comes and snatches it away. You might have experienced this. You're talking to a friend or you're talking to a family member, and you're trying to tell them the good news of the kingdom, and they just look at you like, I don't get it at all. I understand what you mean. What's happening? Well, soon as that seed is being planted, Satan is taking it away. Second Corinthians 4 says it this way, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For those who are unbelievers, Satan wants to do everything he possibly can to keep the word from entering their soul. So when we share the good news with others, the first thing we need to do is to pray. Holy Spirit, please, please move in this person's heart. Please protect this person's heart from the power of the evil one. But alongside of that, we need to pray for our hearts as well because even though we might be believers, the enemy still is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. There are so many things that might keep you from even coming today, from not being distracted, but, from, but for truly having a, a sincere heart to listen to God's word. You have to consider all of the ways that the enemy might have tried to keep you from coming or even right now is trying to seek to remove that good word that, he, that God wants you to hear this morning. And so we have to pray. Please, keep me from the evil one. Do not let him have his sway on my heart and on the hearts of those whom I love. That's the first heart, the hard heart. second heart is the superficial heart. Verse 20 says this, As for it was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So remember back, I mentioned how the seed kind of falls on that little bit of soil and just below it is this hard rock. And so Jesus says that represents someone who hears the word. They immediately start getting excited about the good news. They receive it with joy. But then in times of pressure or persecution, they fall away because they have no root. I remember um, sharing the gospel with a neighbor across the street. Um, Julie and I were really excited to talk to this woman she was from a Catholic background, and it seemed like this was the first time she'd ever heard the true message of the gospel, and she received it with joy. In fact, we bought her a ESV Study Bible, which, you know, I was a new pastor back then, so I got the big one. I was like, "I've got big dreams for you." I'm sure she was probably like, "Oh my goodness," <laughs> but she she opened up, you know, the ESV Study Bible. She started reading through it. She seemed excited. She brought her kids to church. But then after a little while, she started losing interest. And before we knew it, she stopped coming to church. She stopped reading the Bible. And it was because her family and her boyfriend were making fun of her for leaving the Catholic heritage. So she stopped believing. The seed of the gospel never truly took root. Colossians 2 says this. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving in other words true believers are those who when they hear the good news it sinks deeply into their soul it it plants a deep root in them so that when trials and testing come, instead of growing weaker, they grow stronger in their faith. Think about the woman that we just heard about who was imprisoned. And she's growing stronger in her faith through the persecution and the trials that she's having to endure. But Jesus says for those who represent that superficial heart, it's the opposite effect. When they are accused of whatever it might be, they say, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't really believe in Jesus I don't really want to follow him. And they fall away. Uh, George Whitfield, a, a famous preacher in the 1900s, uh, he preached to massive crowds. Maybe it was late 1800s. But anyway, he preached to massive crowds. And when people would ask him, uh, you know, how many people were saved at your preaching today? He would say, well, we'll see in a few years. Now, he didn't mean that people couldn't believe right then and there and be saved. He just meant that it takes time to reveal the true nature of a person's heart. Like a farmer, we have to wait and see. And you might be familiar with someone like that. Maybe prayed the sinner's prayer or walked the aisle, but now they don't seem to be close to the Lord whatsoever. They may have, have a superficial heart. Next, but not least, the preoccupied heart. Verse 22 um, says this. It says, as for was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful so jesus already talked about one hindrance to the gospel being the enemy satan a second hindrance of the gospel is persecution a third hindrance of the gospel is we just call it the world and there's kind of two different aspects of worldliness that jesus talks about here one is the cares of the world This is someone who's just preoccupied, they're anxious, they're always focused on the here and now. They might say things like, well, I'll get to Jesus at a later point in time, but right now I need to focus on what's most important, which is my home or my kids or my car or my work or whatever. Eventually, I'll get to Jesus. But eventually, the word gets choked out because the person is so distracted by the worries of this life that they never focused on the eternal kingdom to come. There's another hindrance to the gospel, and that's the deceitfulness of riches. Think of the rich young ruler who Jesus tells him, he says, Hey, if you sell all that you have, you can embrace me and my kingdom. And then the man walks away sadly, and Jesus says, You can't worship God and money. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Guys, and if we're not careful, not just unbelievers, but believers alike, We can be choked out by the temptations of the world. Notice, too, just kind of the subtle imagery that Jesus uses by um, the thorns. So the thorns, if you think about it, it doesn't choke suddenly. It's gradually. A lot of times it's even unknowingly. And before the plant knows it, it's choked. There's no more life. And uh, Jesus says, before we know it, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches will divide and eventually destroy the preoccupied heart. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying here that we will ever lose our salvation. That's not what he's trying to get at. He's just trying to help us to understand what happens when the Word of God is preached, when the Word of God is read, and all of the different challenges that we face, both as unbelievers and believers alike, to truly letting the Word of God sink deeply into our souls. But Jesus holds out this one last soil as an encouragement to us this morning. It says, despite all obstacles, despite all challenges, there are some who truly have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They are the good soil. And Jesus says in verse 23, he says, As for it was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold and another sixty. And in another 30, Jesus, in essence, he says, when you hear God's word, when you understand God's word, then you will grow in God's word. You will bear fruit. Now, the measure of that fruit bearing might look different, but as Jesus says elsewhere in John 15, he says, hey, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, a true Christian will bear fruit. They will look more and more like Jesus. They will value his kingdom more and more and more. They will set aside the world and the flesh and the devil more and more and more to pursue Christ because he is the only one who is satisfying. He's the only one who truly meets all of our needs. And before we know it, begin to bear more and more fruit. And begin to share the good news with others. And so, the question that Jesus wants to leave us here with is where's your heart at right now? Are you receiving God's word? Are you bearing fruit? And for those of you who are not yet bearing fruit, maybe it's the cares of the world, maybe it's the, the, the temptation of the persecution that you might face if you follow after Jesus, or maybe it's the enemy. Guys, don't let any of those keep you from embracing the king and his kingdom. So the beautiful point of the parable is that that soil doesn't have to be permanent. The soil of the heart can change. And so I just pray as we move to this last point of the parable that the Holy Spirit would change your heart and mind as we listen, as we embrace the parable of the kingdom demonstrated through the sower. And that leads us to the last point. What is the point? <laughs> so I think in one sense, yeah, it's good to kind of examine our hearts. Uh, not only our own hearts, but even the hearts of those who might hear the word. But I think there's something else that Jesus is doing here. Uh, Go back to verse 18. What does Jesus call the parable? He doesn't call it the parable of the soils. He calls it the parable of the sower. And if you think back to the context that Jesus is speaking this parable in, think about what is happening. Jesus is finishing up his year of popularity, and now he's moving into the last year, the year of persecution. And the disciples are already experiencing this. Remember, they were commissioned out in Matthew 10. Jesus says, hey, go, go preach the good news. Go share the seeds of the kingdom. And to some, they're going to receive the good news. But to others, they're not. And the disciples are seeing this increasingly so, that more and more people are beginning to take a step back. They're moving to the periphery. And then alongside of that, the Pharisees are taking a step forward. They're ready to destroy Jesus. And the disciples are wondering, what is going on, Jesus? I don't understand. I thought you were bringing your kingdom in all its beautiful, wonderful, life-fulfilling ways, and yet it seems really hard. Jesus kind of pulls them off into a side conversation. And he says, disciples, my friends, keep sowing the seed. This is the nature of my kingdom and how it grows. You are simply called to be faithful. You're called to be generous with your seed like I have been. You see, my love is generous. It is lavish. It is abundant. And you don't understand it yet, but you will see it one day that my love will lead me to the cross. I will, I will leave, leave nothing left in order to rescue my people. And you were called to do the same. See, the way my kingdom works is it's not focused on this efficiency and effective method of sowing seed. I don't have a computer-driven tractor to plot out exactly where I'm going to drop each seed. No. Think back about how I've already sown my seed. I've just gone wherever I went, to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. I've gone to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Look around you, men. Some of you are, you've got a zealot within you. You've got a tax collector within you. You've got fishermen within you. People that we would never expect for the kingdom of God to take root in their hearts. I've sown my seed to demoniacs and to paralytics. And you are to follow my example, to be lavish with my grace, to be generous with my love wherever you go. And don't assume that just because... This person may not look quite right that they won't receive my kingdom. My kingdom doesn't grow that way. You're to go wherever you can. Whatever place God calls you and to be lavish with my grace. To keep sowing seed. The good word of my kingdom. It's a good word for the disciples, for what what they were going to endure. And it's a good word for us today. Parents, can I encourage you? You may have children who seem to be rebelling against the message of this gospel at every turn, don't stop sowing seed. Husbands and wives who have spouses who have left you or who are hardened to the gospel, don't stop sowing seed. Students who have unbelieving friends or unbelieving roommates, don't stop sowing seed. You men and women who have angry, hard-to-love co-workers, don't stop sowing seed. I think of our missionaries around the world who are serving in extremely difficult places. Jesus would tell them, don't stop sowing seed. Jesus does miracles. He changes hearts. He changes lives in the most crazy, unpredictable, miraculous ways. Don't stop sowing seed. Yeah, there's an adversary who is at work to rip the seed from hearts. Yes, there's pressure and persecution and worries and wealth to keep people from receiving this message. But keep sowing the seed for oaks. And be assured that God is working beneath the surface. He is changing hearts and he will cause growth to be manifested in due time. Think about the woman who's gonna be baptized in three weeks. 79 years old. Her daughter's been sowing seed for a really long time. Don't despair if the results are not immediately apparent or if some of our efforts produce no gain. In the end, Jesus promises, he says, there will be through our continual seed sowing a harvest that is just impossible to imagine. It's going to be so glorious When people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship together the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Four Oaks, be optimistic. Be passionate. Be courageous. Be zealous. Keep sowing seeds of the kingdom. Follow Jesus' example, even if it requires you to go all the way to the cross, because it's worth it. Hearts will be changed. Lives will be transformed. Communities will be transformed, and ultimately the king will return one day to welcome all of his people in his perfect kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.